Hi. All right. Hey, my name is uh, Chris Hilkin. I am from San Diego, California. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, was born in the Midwest, and then I lived in Bakersfield for a long time. Yes. We're all going to die an early death from all the smog we've breathed in. But who cares? Bakersfield's beautiful this time of year. 125. Beautiful. Um, we are going to be jumping into this book called Daniel. And as we do, I want to talk about uh, a couple things. Y'all have had a long day. You've done a lot of stuff, a lot of traveling, so I'll keep it short. But I want to kind of start with this. All throughout this week, when we come in here, we'll be having kind of a dialogue about this story of Daniel. But what's really easy is when we start hearing biblical stories to go, huh, old dead guys, who cares? Oh, boring old story, antiquated. And some of you in here with a room this size really think that this whole book is nothing but a bunch of fictitious fables on par with like old mother goose rhymes or a bunch of fables meant to make us feel good or to teach us cautionary tales about life. And the Bible presents something very uniquely different. The Bible doesn't really give us permission to come to the conclusion that this is just a bunch of fables because it gives us names, dates, times, places, and events that are in recorded history. And so what you have to do is it's way too simplified, especially in our culture, to just come to the conclusion that you've been told that don't worry, the Bible doesn't need to be taken seriously because when I was your age, I thought the same thing. When I was your age, I had all these doubts, intellectual doubts about God. Does he actually exist? Is the Bible, can the Bible be trusted? What about the idea of a bad things happening to good people? Is, is scripture worth following? If there is a God out there in the first place, what does he care about me if he is out there? And I seriously doubt that he is. This is kind of the world that I grew up in. And so what I want to do this week is, is I want to start by making a couple commitments to you. And the first one is this. My guess is that whatever age you are here in junior high, that you are probably pretty tired of people kind of talking down to you. I'm going to make that guess. I think one of my pet peeves in life is like, have you ever like gone to shake someone's hand and instead of shaking their hand firmly, they give you like that little like limp wrist thing where let's like kiss the real hand. It's like a pet peeve of mine. Y'all have pet peeves? You know what I'm talking about? Or when people combine words together like guess and estimate and they say guesstimate. I don't know, or like the word ointment. You ever heard the word ointment before? And you're like, why does that word exist? Those are, those are pet peeves that we have. And one of my pet peeves that I had at your age is I feel like I was asking difficult questions and I feel like when people presented the Bible to me or when people would talk about God, they kind of sanitized it. Do you know what I'm talking about? They kind of took these stories, which if you read this book in its entirety, and we're going to have some really difficult conversations this week that are going to be really offensive because the Bible's really offensive. Like y'all have ever heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? You've seen the VeggieTales movie, Daniel in the lion's den? What, the more that we hear the story, the more we can get kind of this picturesque, idyllic countryside with a man who, right, in, in all of like the different cartoons that you're coloring or drawing, we just hear this story of a guy who's thrown into a lion's den, but then God miraculously saves him. And without understanding the context of the story, we can just walk away and go, wow, God's a God who saves people from lions. That's fantastic. But when you read the story in its entirety, which we're going to do, you find out there's a lot of pretty gruesome detail in it. There's a lot of situations in the book of Daniel that if you actually read it the way it was meant to be read, it's probably going to bring you some questions. So if you have a different pet peeve, one of mine is if when I was your age, I 
hated the idea that people would take the story of God's word and they would dumb it down and they would make it to this like nerf-balled, copacetic, they wouldn't tell me the truth about it. And so then I got to college and I grew up and people are coming at me and going, did you know the Bible says this? Did you know that God did this? Did you know that the Old Testament, this is what happens? And you know what I said? That's not true. There's no way that's true. I've never heard what you're talking about. I, I don't understand what you're saying. And then what do they do? They just open up the Bible and they said, look, it's right here. Look, it's right here. And, and I, I was sitting there going, there's no way that the Bible says it. There's no way that that's there. And what I realized is that throughout my childhood and then coming into becoming an adult like you are right now, people had decided that I wasn't ready to hear hard truth. I don't feel like that's my place in your life. I don't think that as your speaker for this week, I have permission to withhold hard truth from you. I don't think that it's right for you. I think you guys are coming to an, a, a generation and an age where you're gonna start deciding on what you want to be for the rest of your life. Some of you already have it in mind where you wanna go to school, what you wanna do, what you wanna become. And which means at this point, the most important thing about who you are is what do you believe about life? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about death? What do you think you're gonna go when everything turns off, proverbially speaking, when your body gives way? These are the big questions of life. And I don't think that it's right for a guy like me to stand up in a church setting like this and open up this book and not tell you what it actually says. Because I think that you need the truth so that you can make an informed decision. Because if I don't give you all the information, how could you possibly come to a conclusion that you're comfortable with? Here's the problem. Some of you have, walking into this place, if there's 800 of you or so in this room, the number of people in here who have been affected by everything this culture has to offer is all represented in this room. That means there's people in this room who don't believe in God. There's people in this room who don't know who God is. There's people in this room who were just, you're kind of like died in the wool. You were born into Christianity. You were homeschooled. You've never heard a swear word in your life, right? Like those kind of people where you're like, I can find a Bible verse in 13 seconds. Yay, right? So there's, and then there's other people, you're, you're kind of questioning stuff. You wrestle with life. You're kind of built like me. You've got these big major questions and maybe you've never got answers for them. And there's people in here who you want to believe in a God. You think maybe there's a reason for it. You look at the stars. You look at what you think about justice and morality and life and truth and love. And you gotta think there's no way I'm just like a, a, a grown-up primate. There's gotta be more to life than this. But then you think about God and the destruction of this planet and the political climate and people killing people and genocide and Everything in our culture, you might be thinking, if there is a God, I don't want anything to do with him. I want you to have permission this week to be honest with that. Because my pet peeve is if I talk to you and you put on some fake front like we like to do in church, where you go, I'm good, everything's good, everyone's fine, I've got my stuff together like that. That's annoying. And you're not gonna accomplish anything. You, 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 you're not gonna get your money's worth at this camp if you come fake and fictitious into chapel time. If you don't think God exists, bring it to chapel. If you think that God is, is hateful and you think that, he, that you could do a better job, then bring that into chapel. If you think that, that God should go under review and we should find a new God, bring that into chapel. If you think that a different belief system besides Christianity is true, then bring it into chapel. You don't have to go, time for us to all walk in the doors to check our brain at the exits before we come in. God's afraid of my doubts and concerns 
and anxieties and fears. That's not the God that I serve. He's bigger than all those things. He welcomes them. And if he didn't, I wouldn't be sitting here today. And I'll, I'll be telling you more about my story. But I wanted to start by making that commitment to you. I'm going to talk to you like adults. I'm going to tell you really hard things. I'm going to tell you things in the Bible that maybe you haven't been told before. I'm not afraid of offending you. I'm not looking for a whole bunch of new junior high friends. I'm coming here just to give you the truth about the gospel. If at the end of that we become friends, great. We can just go ice skating together and things like that during Christmas time. But I don't, <laughs> that's not my primary motivation. My primary motivation is that by the end of this week, you would have an accurate understanding of who God actually is. Not what your friends think about him. Not what you think from movies and TV and culture because all that stuff is garbage. They, they, very traditionally speaking, if you get your information about Jesus from culture, you don't know anything about Jesus. If what you know about God is from TV shows, I want to tell you something, friend. If you've rejected the God that culture has taught you, you have no clue who he is. And so I want to give you straight from the text itself, this is who God is, because I'm going to ask you to make an adult-informed decision. And I don't think it's my job to withhold information from you. If it offends you, this is what the Bible says. If it excites you, this is what the Bible says. But in all things, I want you to be able to, at the end of this week, look at me and say, I know you told me the truth. I hate it. I know you told me the truth. I want nothing to do with God. Or I know you told me the truth, and I'm going to follow him forever. My job, give you information. Your job, as adults, make a decision about it. So we jump into the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, we'll be jumping in here every time. Because what's important above all else is what does God say about all things. Daniel chapter 1 says this. Here's what the text reads. Daniel chapter 1. If you don't know where Daniel is in your Bible, the Holy Spirit put the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. It tells you what page it's on. If you're sitting next to a nerdy homeschool kid, they will find it for you, and then you can have them find it again. They'd be happy to. They're going to win 10 points in their Awana's class. It'd be great. By the way, I have five kids. They're all homeschooled, so I can say that. Go time. Yeah. Find that Bible verse. Awanas for life. Here we go. Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. All right, here's what it says. Read along in your heads. Read along with me. I'm going to ask you as we walk through this to make sure that you're bringing your Bibles. Again, listen, I do I, <laughs> I don't, it's not important to me that you bring your Bibles because you need to like score 10 points for Gryffindor or whatever. It's like, that's not my intent. My intent My intent for you reading your Bibles is what would really break my heart is by the end of a week of talking to you about Jesus that you go, well, Chris said, I don't care if you know what I say. I want you to know what God says. That's why I want you to read it for yourself. So you never go, well, he said it, but I'm not sure what God thinks. I want you to know what God thinks about everything, including this. One theologian once said this, and I think this is true. Whenever you hear the word God, the first thing that comes to your mind is the most important thing about who you are. But I think there's actually something more important. A man named C.S. Lewis argues this. He says, I think it's important what comes to your mind when you hear the word God, but I think there's one thing that's more important than that. And I want you to think about this concept. Did you know that God is omniscient? The word omni, where we get the term omnia, which is where the, the people of Israel are from, omni in the story. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's omnipresent, which means he's always everywhere. He's omnipotent, which means he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's omnibenevolent. He is the perfect expression of love. And if he's omniscient, that means at all times, in all places, ever, 
Did you know that the God of the universe has been constantly thinking about you before you were ever born? He thinks about you in every second. He thinks about you in every moment. You are literally, because he thinks of all things at the same time, the omniscient God is thinking about you in this moment, which means he has a thought regarding you. So when you hear the word God, something comes to your mind, but gets, this, is, this is probably a little bit more mind-blowing for me. Something also comes to God's mind when he thinks about me. The God of all things who made the universe and the stars and leptons and protons and neutrons and semi-permeable membranes thinks about you. Not y'all collectively as a group. He said, the book of Psalms says he knows us individually. He knit us together in our mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows the number of hairs in your head. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows your innermost being and he has built you specifically which means God's thinking about you right now. What's he thinking about when he thinks about you? That's the question we gotta ask ourselves. What comes to God's mind when he thinks about you? Because he's doing it right now. This is gonna give us an insight into it. There's one thing that I want you to carry away from this whole thing. If anyone ever asks you what the book of Daniel is about, if you say a lion's den, you just, that's a D minus, okay? There is a lion's den in it, that's not what Daniel's about. If someone asks you what Daniel's about and you say a fiery furnace, that's not what Daniel's about. Every time this week that I ask you what Daniel's about, you only have one answer. It's only one word and it rhymes with Jesus. Are you ready? No, not, not, not time yet. What's the book of Daniel about? Jesus. Jesus. The book of Daniel is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Daniel, it might look like this is a story about a guy in the Old Testament, but it's not. It's a story about a guy in the New Testament named Jesus, and I'll show you more about what that is, but just so we're clear, everything we read is about Jesus. Here's what it says. Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Again, if you're part of the tribe that thinks that this is a bunch of made-up stories, listen to this. A man named Nelson Glick, who's the father of all modern archaeology, is one of the foremost experts on Babylonian and Assyrian archaeology. He has dug 23,000 times to verify Old Testament times, dates, and places. And here's what he said. He said, after 23,000 archaeological digs, it can be stated categorically, that means absolutely, that no one in archaeology has ever found anything that goes against Scripture. In fact, after 23,000 archaeological digs, they, the Bible is used time and time again as a referential point for our, our, all archaeologists. These things happened. We just found five years ago a stone that has a picture of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar on it in this story. We'll read about a guy in the next section, and his name right down here, verse 3, is named Ashpenaz. We have found a scroll, we have found a cylinder from the time of Nebuchadnezzar that has a guy's named Ashpenaz on it, who is the king's royal assistant. This is not a fable. This is world history. Daniel, lion's den, Nebuchadnezzar, foreign idols, destruction of Jerusalem, Assyrian conquering, Babylonian empire. It's all world history. Jesus is world history. These events actually took place. The question is, what are you gonna do with them? Here we go. Nebuchadnezzar, and his name means Nebo, which is their foreign god of Babylon. They worship a god named Nebo or Nebu. So Nebuchadnezzar's name means, don't worry, Nebu will protect my crown, okay? Which 
Once you hear the story of Nebuchadnezzar, you find out that's not exactly the case. His name means no one can take my crown because Nebu is my God. To which Yahweh, the true God of the universe, goes, <laughs> okay, here we go. He came and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of God. So here's, what the, here's how the story starts. God's chosen people, the Israelites, have rebelled against God again and again and again and again and again. It's Judith. Judith goes, mm, what if we went a different direction? God says, go here. This is where I've called you. This is where I want you to go. And Judea... The whole tribe of Judah goes, you know what? That's a good idea, but what about this new island? What about this new adventure? What if we disregarded what Magnus thought, what Yahweh thinks, that's God's name in scripture. What if we disregard what God thinks and go our own way? And what happens is they constantly find themselves in destruction because God loves them. And he's not calling them to go somewhere so they would sit in some kind of defilement or going, this is so brutal, we hate this. God's calling them to something better. God's calling them to a life that is, that, where they're known by God, they are loved by God, and they follow God. But they go, you know what? I'm gonna do things my own way. So they find themselves in this country called Babylon. Babylon is this massive empire that we know from world history. And here's what you need to understand. The Bible constantly uses the term Babylon to refer to the non-Christian culture around us as believers. Again, some of you aren't believers, but the Bible is, is really trying to draw out for us in the story of Daniel and throughout this theme, this truth. We live in America, which you need to think of in the story as Babylon. Our country, regardless of what it's founded on, right now is completely against the idea of God in almost every single facet. The idea of following Jesus is so against what our culture wants you to do right now. And here's the wild thing. When I was growing up about 15 or 20 years ago, there was this massive movement in America away from God. And here was the promise. You guys, we don't need God anymore. We have evolved past the need to believe in some higher power. This is ridiculous. Stop going to church. Stop the whole religion thing. Stop believing in some divine eye in the sky, some Morgan Freeman character who's always looking down on you and going, do this, don't do that. Get rid of it. We want liberation in every category. We want to be our own people. This is what the Israelites said. We don't want to follow what this God up there says. And so American culture kind of said, even though our money says in God we trust, we changed and now it became in me I trust, in self I trust. And what is truth is whatever I want to be. And we gave culture permission to say, you get to be your own God. Forget Yahweh. Forget the Bible. You can't bring him to school. You can't pray before games. It's no longer acceptable in our culture because the worship of Yahweh goes against our favorite God, self. American culture is a culture just like Babylon that says we're gonna worship whatever we think. A God named Nebu, a God named Asherah, a God named Baal. These are the historical gods of their culture. Asherah is a God of sex. Baal is a God of power. Nebu is this God of money. This is exactly what we worship today. Sex, power, money. Our culture has said if we can get rid of God, 
this whole Bible thing, then guess what? You can do what you want with everything. You can do what you want with your body. You can do what you want with your money. You can do what you want with your power. And if it benefits you, do it. If you're more powerful than the guy next to you, take advantage of them. This is modern American culture. The Bible's trying to make a distinction here as the book of Daniel begins. Don't think of this as some old fable. This is modern America. Friends, if you're a Christian, just like the Israelites were in exile, the Babylonians came and conquered Jerusalem, and then they took all the Israelites, and they tried to make them into good Babylonians. So they entrenched them in culture, and they taught them the ways of Babylon, and they tried to convince them that their old ways of thinking about Yahweh are outdated, antiquated, and wrong. And they said, if you'll just give up this whole Yahweh thing, you can be free. You can be free of the chains of religion, you guys. This was the promise. When I was, when I was coming up in high school, this was the promise. If we get rid of Christianity, we as America are finally going to be free. Here's what I want you to do as we wrap up this time. I want you to start to question what you've been told by everyone in your life. This is called thinking. I'm going to challenge you to think. I'm going to challenge you to think through the things that you've been told and ask yourself a simple question. Have I been deceived by the promises of Babylon? Have I I been deceived by secular American culture that tells me that if we get rid of Yahweh, everything's gonna be better? Have I been deceived? Y'all, we are prone to deception. Let me tell you what. I'll tell you one good reason. How many of y'all grew up in a household where when it got cold outside, your mom went, put on a hat or else you're gonna catch a cold? Y'all know how you catch colds? A cold is a virus, which means you get it from what? People. Which means if you go outside in the winter without a hat on, it doesn't change anything. In fact, the reason that colds are so prominent in the wintertime is not because the weather outside is cold. It's because the weather outside is cold. Where do people go? Inside. Why is the cold virus so prominent in the wintertime? Because everyone stays indoors. The safest place you can be (laughs) during cold season is outside. But you've been told your whole life, get indoors, you'll catch a cold. No, you get indoors and you'll catch a cold. That's really what it is. We're prone to deception on every level. The Bible uses this phrase again and again and again. Do not be deceived. Let's put America on trial here for just a second. Track this with me. We're gonna hit some hard things and some heavy topics here, okay? I want you to go with me on it. I'm gonna trust that even though culture says junior hires can't deal with this, I'm gonna trust that you can. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I'm gonna give it a shot, okay? In the past 15 years, as our culture has completely gone to postmodernism, which means get rid of truth, get rid of God, get rid of religion, Christianity is over, let's bring in everyone gets to think and, and, and be truth, whatever their truth is, they can bring it and they can treat their bodies how they want to. It'll be a sexual revolution. This is, this is what we've been fed. This is what we were told. Now let's put it on trial. In the past 15 years, atheism has doubled from two to 4% of the entire US population. Agnosticism has doubled from three to f- or almost doubled from three to 5% of the total population. Agnosticism means, I don't know if there's a God or not. Non-religious belief has doubled from 15 to 30%. 68% of Americans have serious doubts about God's existence, and 50% of Americans believe that if there is a God, he's not the God described in Scripture because the God of Scripture goes against 
their personal wants and desires. So, while there's been a rise in Babylon, as Babylonian culture has risen in America, and this new wave of thinking has kind of started to sweep over us, and as long as we get away from religion, things are going to be better. This was what I was fed. This was like the opioid of the masses for so long. This was kind of like the, the other night, um, I've, I spoke in the high school camp last week, and uh, there was this bear that kept coming down to like the, this area on the backside of Hume Lake. It's nowhere near Meadow. But anyway, I get to go out, and I got to go be on bear patrol, which means you want to go out there, and you want to keep the bears away from camp, right? Because you don't want to be walking on the, the, right, having a DTR on the last night of camp, like, so are we going to be boyfriend, girlfriend, bear, right? You don't want that. No one wants that. But, so the way that you do that is you go up, and depending on the animal, you use a, a rubber pellet, right? So you, you, you hit them with a rubber pellet, and they just go, jeez, and then they like run away. They just don't like it, right? Or you have to tranquilize them, because you might have to take that bear and drag it out of the park to get it away. But tranquilizers, for a bear, depending on size, can last anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes. So if you tranquilize a bear and you don't have the right number of people to move and to adjust that bear, what do you have to do after 15 minutes just to be safe? You gotta shoot it again. You gotta keep tranquilizing. Now that bear's loving it. That bear's like in some la-la state, like this is the best thing ever. But here's what I wanna, here's the reason I tell you that story. I'm convinced that because you live in Babylon, you go to school in Babylon, your friends are Babylonian, your television's Babylonian, your news, everything about your life is Babylonian. We're kind of like tranquilized bears a little bit. We kind of walk around and culture constantly sedates us and goes, don't think for yourselves. Don't ask questions. Just keep with the status quo. Don't worry. You're just an evolved primate. Don't ask big questions. Everyone's going to end up all the same. Just try to be a good person. This is the tranquilizer of culture. And let me tell you what's happened in the last 15 years. As agnosticism, atheism, non-religious belief, and God has been done away with, here's the, here's the statistics. In that same period of time, when we've done away with Christianity and moved towards your truth is whatever you think it is, do whatever you want, your body, your choice, here's what's happened. Marriage rates have fallen 60% which means a human in America is 60% less likely to get married than they were 15 years ago because we don't even believe in the institution of it anymore because we've seen it done so poorly. So you would think then divorce rates have also gone down, but you're wrong. Those have still continued to go up. For non-believing people, it's still about a coin flip when two people say, I do, if they actually do forever. 60% of people from 15 years ago don't even bother getting married anymore. They've lost the idea and the belief in love that is eternal anyway. 55% of all adolescents in the same time frame, the last 15 years, now report emotional abuse in their home. 11% in 2023 have reported physical abuse in their home. 25% of 12, 13, and 14-year-olds have seriously considered attempting suicide. 12% actually did. 60% of teenage girls reported prolonged hopelessness and sadness. D severe depression has doubled in the last 10 years and isn't slowing down from 8 to 16%. Suicide rates among your age group, 12 to 14 year old, has also doubled. You are 100% more likely as a 13 year old 
to take your own life than you were 15 years ago when we were not ready to give up on this whole idea of religious belief. You have to start asking questions of Babylon. Dear Babylon, you told me it would be better without God. Dear Babylon, you told me that if I could do things my way, I'd be happy. Dear Babylon, you've told me as technology would rise, it would give way to me feeling more accepted. Dear Babylon, you said that as people, as accountability rose, there'd be less bullying. Dear Babylon, you've told me that with the more people I meet, I'm gonna have better relationships and I'm gonna be more accepted where I am. Dear Babylon, you gotta put Babylon to the test. Friends, Babylon has failed you. It's failing you right now but you live in it. And like a fish living in water, fish don't recognize what water's like. They don't know the pH, they don't know the temperature, they don't even know they're in it because they swim in it all the time. I love that Hume Lake has said, we are gonna take a week and we're gonna pull out all the tranquilizer darts of culture and let you who have been sedated for the past however many years, wake up and at least start to ask questions. And here's the question I want to leave you with tonight. The Bible presents a situation in which every human has ever lived is in one of two categories. Not 37, not 59. We have a lot of ways we like to label ourselves. The Bible only has two. You might label yourselves through your personality type, towards which house you belong to at Hogwarts. You might think, I'm a, you might believe in some kind of certain personality test. You might be a fan of a certain sports team. You have a lot of ways that you define yourself. And we tribally break up into those. We're a group that likes this. We're a group that's popular. We're a group that's nerdy. We're a group that's athletic. We're a group. We like to group ourselves a lot of different ways. The Bible only gives two categories of human being. What I want you to walk away from tonight's conversation with is this truth, and it's gonna be a difficult one. In God's kingdom, not Babylon, Babylon is full of deception. It's got its hooks deep in you. You've been tranquilized by it for far too long. There's another kingdom, it's an invisible kingdom, and it's God's kingdom. It's the way that life was meant to be lived. It's the truth. It's a truth based on God himself. In God's economy, there's only two types of people on planet Earth those who are children of God and those who are enemies of God. There's no Switzerland. There's no third party. And again, your response to me might be, well, I don't think God would, listen, friend, unless you invented the universe and stretched out the heavens and invented the duckbill platypus and zebras and stuff like that, I don't care what you think God is like because God has told us exactly what he thinks about mankind. He's told us his love for us. He's told us his categories. He's told us the way that he presents himself. So what you think about God doesn't change anything. Just like if you went out to the meadow grass and you wrote red all over it, it wouldn't change the color of the grass. It would just mean that you were crazy, right? <laughs> In the same way, your opinion about how God works means nothing. Your opinion about what God should do is nothing. God has revealed to us in his scripture this truth. There are only two types of people, which means you presently sit in only one of two types of categories. You are either right now, as you sit in this chair, in this chapel, a child of God, or you are an enemy of God. There's no third category. So I want you to, to, to again, I'm gonna be honest with you, but I also want you to be honest with yourself. And in your honesty with yourself, if you had to not choose one of 37, not a category, it's like, well, I'm kind of nice, but other people are nicer than me, or, or I think I might get into heaven because I'm a pretty good person. What if there's only two categories? Child of God, completely surrendered to him, or an enemy of God, part of Babylon. 
Because in God's kingdom, there's only two countries. There's Babylon, there's his kingdom. Babylon is run in deception, and it's run by the self. The kingdom of God is run by Yahweh. Those are the only options we have. I want to begin this week just by doing that. To ask ourselves a simple question. If I had to choose right now, based on what I know about God, am I category one, am I a child of God, or am I an enemy of the Most High? And if I'm an enemy, do I want to do something about that, or am I comfortable being in this category? And if I'm a child, God, if I self-proclaim that I am, what does that actually mean? And is it true? That's the question I want to leave you with. Babylon is everywhere. I'm challenging you to pull out the tranquilizers and think about what's the difference between Babylon and the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for the truth of your word. Thanks for your truth that we can stand on, that has this book, this Bible, these 66 books, of your holy, perfect scriptures have withstood the test of time. They've withstood generations that have tried to knock it away. They've withstood, withstood persecution from Diocletian, from Nero, from a number of different people who have, right now today, there are people around the world who are getting their heads cut off because they're holding this book. And yet it stands true. It stands the test of time. And in its pages are not just historical facts and dates and archaeology and truth, but in its pages are also, as we flip through it, it's speaking about each of us individually. God, you have something you want to tell us. And while we think we might be here by mistake, we know one thing's true. You are sovereign and ruler over all things. Nothing happens on this planet that doesn't cross your desk first. With that truth, God, we want to ask the question, what do you want with me here? Is there a conversation, God, that you and I need to have? God, is there a God out there in the first place? Are you even real? Would you give these students permission to be honest with their doubts and skepticisms and would you show up in a way that breaks through the Babylonian current and shows us the kingdom of God? It's in your name we pray, amen.